Good morning, church. My name is Paul Erminger, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, and I'm so glad to be sharing with you from God's Word today. And uh, I'll tell you a couple things about me. I work here with the 180 program. Uh, my wife's name is Tia, and we've been married for over 10 years. We have three daughters. Yes, three daughters, um, age seven, four, and three. So I, I live in crazy land. Um, and my degree is in youth ministry and has Bible and theology included in that, but you know, there's no education like parenting um, and, and like life. You, you, you go through those ups and downs, don't you? I mean, traversing the mountaintops down to the valleys and, and just going up and down. There's good times, there's bad times. There's part of life. And that is the topic that we're going to get into today. It, this concept of the dip, that we all go through these low places, these hard places. And before we read our passage today, I just want to give you a little background on it. Um, Habakkuk, one of the staff members here was joking with me, and he's like, just, just a couple times, just call it Habakkuk, just for fun. Um, I, I, I don't think I can do that. And it was actually kind of funny as I went a little bit deeper into researching this passage and, and the context of it. When you say it in Hebrew, you actually say Habakkuk, which is so, is saying it the right way. But that, that's not how we normally say it in English. This was written around 650 to 600 years before Christ's life. And it's, it's a prophet who, who was crying out to God because the nation, his nation, God's nation, they, they were walking away from him. They, they were living in sin. They, they were breaking the covenant that they had established with God. And he was concerned. And he was crying out, you know, God, do something. And God said, okay, I will do something. And God was bringing his discipline. And then the prophet started crying out about God's discipline. Why are you doing this to us? And he was in this very real, difficult place where things looked bleak. And he wrote out this verse that we'll look at together that is an amazing heart position, an amazing place uh, of our attitude and our mind being focused. And I think we can learn a lot from it. Stand with me as we read God's word together. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Yeah, may God bless us through this important word today. You may be seated. I'm curious, do we have any soccer fans in the house? And he said, yes. Apparently all of the soccer fans in the U.S. are in this room, because there's not that many of us. Um, if you didn't realize, the Women's World Cup has been going on. And I want to just tell a story about it, because man, something crazy happened this last week. And if you're not a soccer person, you need to realize the World Cup for each gender, the Women's World Cup, it only happens once every four years, okay? So if something happens that is bad, you have four years to just sit and stew about it before you can actually do something, all right? With that in mind, let's enter this context, the semifinals game between England and Japan, and the game is getting close to an end, and in soccer, they don't count down, they count up at time, and the ref, you know, decides when the game ends, it's not like a normal count to this time, but they say, depending on how many, you know, fake injuries there were, and how many times we had to stop, I'm just going to add two minutes and 43 seconds to the clock, and the ref will just surprise everyone when the game ends. And so, this game between England and Japan, it's in what they call stoppage time, where the ref could just stop the game at any time, and it's tied one-to-one. And the winner of this game gets to go to the World Cup Finals against the USA, all right? 
Japan is driving down and they cross the ball towards the middle to where it looks like they're going to get a shot on goal. And one of the England defenders just makes this kind of desperate kick out move, sticks the foot out there, gets it on the ball. And I, I can only imagine having played soccer that as soon as she touched the ball, she was just a little bit thankful. All right, I, I intercepted the pass. This is good. The, the other player's not going to get it. They're not going to kick it into our net. But that one moment of being like, yes, I intercepted it, switched to terror when she saw that ball go over her goalie, off the crossbar, and into the net of her own goal. She scored the winning goal for Japan in the World Cup semifinals. Yeah, in the interviews afterwards, I mean, the direct quote was, I would do anything to take that moment back. And she poured out tears. It, I can't even imagine the gravity of the situation of knowing literally everyone you know is watching this game. And you feel like you just failed your entire country. You feel like you just failed the entire world. I mean, really, at least one nation was happy about what she did. Japan's feeling pretty good about that, that strike. But have you ever been in that moment where you feel like, Everyone I know is just shaking their head at me right now. I've messed up. I'm down in a low place. This place hurts. Have you ever been there? I know I have it many different times in my life. And usually when we're in that situation, we ask the question of, God, where are you? God, it's not supposed to be like this. God, if you're real, why am I experiencing such pain? And, and we have to embrace this truth, this reality that we've lived through. And it's the first thing that I want to talk with you about today is that God allows us to walk through difficult times. God allows us to walk through difficult times. Write that down in your outline. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, I mean, this circumstance that he is describing, it, it, it would put terror in our hearts if it was fully translated to our experience living here today in Muncie. Because it would be going to the grocery stores and they're all closed. There, there's no place to buy food anywhere. And in fact, even if the place was open, I would have nothing to purchase it with. Everything is just gone. It, it would be a moment that strikes terror into our hearts. It's a situation that probably none of us in, in this room have ever had to live through of just this famine experience. The, play, the, the place that he's describing is a place of pain, and we can relate to that. We've been through situations where we feel like, okay, I've done the work, I've planted the seeds, the, the tree is growing, but why is there no fruit coming from it? I, I see the vine there, but there's no grapes, there's nothing coming from this. This job opportunity that seemed like it was there I'm just not getting that email back. This relationship that I invested myself in so deeply, the person just doesn't seem to care. We've been in those situations where what we were expecting just wasn't returned back to us. God's promise to us is not that we will have an easy road, but on any road that we can have peace. And you guys have probably heard the verse, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and not the one that's like, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left because I've been laughing and blasting so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. The Coolio one, not that one, all right? The, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, Notice that the promise in that verse, the expectation that we should have, is not that God changes the valley of the shadow of death to the valley of the shadow of gummy bears and smiley faces. That's not what he does. That's not how he works. But he says, what I will give you through those valleys, through those tough times, is my presence. One of the crazy things is the description in there of your rod and your staff that they comfort me is that the rod and the staff were used to guide and to discipline the sheep. The fact that God's discipline in our lives would actually be a comfort through the difficult points. That's a tough perspective to hold to. But it's a biblical truth that is important because if we go through life believing that when I hit a rough patch, that when things get difficult, God must have abandoned me and so I'm just gonna figure this out on my own, that will lead us to destruction. We have to understand we will go through tough times based on choices we make sometimes, based on other people's choices of what they brought into our life. Sometimes things happen, and we will go through that rough place, but God doesn't leave us in that. He walks with us through it. He walks with us out of it, and his promise is his presence. His promise isn't just that it will be easy, and in fact, Jesus was so sure that the Spirit's presence in your life was going to be good that what he spoke to his disciples in the Gospel of John 16, 7 is that it's to your advantage that I go and that I leave you, for if I go, I will send the helper to you. I will send the advocate to you. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And he will be with you. Jesus saw it as an advantage to his disciples to actually have the spirit with him rather than the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And that same spirit is available to us today. His presence is God's promise. I'm going to tell you, I've been through those dips in my life without the presence of God there. I haven't always been a Christian. And I've been through that pain. I've been through that time where the family just feels like it's breaking apart where the evenings consist of everyone going to their rooms and shutting their doors and not wanting to talk. I've been to those dips, those hard places where the tears are cried in secret because you don't even want to talk about it with anyone else. I've been there and I've been there without God and that, that's what I lived through for a few years. My family went through a rough patch. And, and so in my experience, what you do is you usually say, okay, if I could get this friendship, then you know, maybe that'll pull me out of this rough spot. If I could get that accomplishment, if I could get that relationship with with the girlfriend or the boyfriend that I want, then that that would just make me happy. I tell you, every time that we place our hope in in things of this world, our hopes are going to be dashed. It's not enough. You were not designed to be fueled by the people around you. You were designed to be fueled by God at work in you. You You are built to respond to him with worship. And when you walk in his ways, that's when you experience true joy. It's not going to be from anyone around you. They're not going to get you out of those tough places, but it's going to be God at work in you. Walking in his ways is so important to getting out of those dips and back to where you need to be because trusting in him, walking in his presence, what good is a counselor's presence in your life if you don't listen to his counsel? Jesus said it this way, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? The two things don't make sense. If we're going to have him here in our life, but we're going to disregard the things that he's taught us, then we're going to just stay in that dip. And we have to look to him for instruction. He knows the way out. He has plans for you that are beyond the plans that you have for yourself. And when we walk in his ways, we discover God's calling for our life. We discover passions that he's placed in us, gifts that he's placed in us that we didn't even know were there. His presence is what moves us through those things. 
And as we walk in his presence, we are, we are to walk in his ways. And that is how we find joy in the circumstance of difficulty. And this is the next thing I want to talk with you about, is that during the struggle, we can choose to be joyful. During the struggle, we can choose to be joyful. In verse 18, it says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There's two main pieces of that small section that I want you to just contemplate for a moment. One is, I will rejoice in the the Lord. Not when I feel emotionally inclined and, and when my schedule allows it, that, then I will you know, go to church and I'll be passionate about those things. But, but in the midst of this circumstance where the prophet's saying there is nothing, there is no food, there, there is fear surrounding, in this situation I will rejoice. And he's not saying it because of a feeling that he has, but because of a decision that he's making in his mind and his heart. And, and this is a truth for us that we can choose how to react to any of the situations around us. We can choose to honor God through those difficult times. The second interesting thing about that is in the Lord. The Lord implies this relationship of lordship, that he is over me, that he dictates my path. And that is so important for us as we follow God. He knows the steps that we should take. And so through this anxiety, through this difficulty, through this job loss, through this uncertainty, I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a statement that we need to be able to make with our mind and our heart. And our emotions might not always feel it in that circumstance. But as we honor God in that area, our emotions will catch up. And I'm not, I'm not pushing an irrelevant or fake happiness towards you guys. That's not what this is. You know, terrible moments can become the most meaningful moments when they're turned to praise. Through tears, you can sing a joyful song to God. I'm going to tell you, that brings honor to him. And that brings courage to your family and the people around you as you honor God through those difficult circumstances. Uh, And and just also on that thought, there's moments where we say things and as soon as the words start coming out, we wish that we could just retract them back inward. I mean, I've had these moments countless, countless times. When I was in college, I was at the dessert bar one time and this girl that I didn't even know walked up to me and she was grabbing a plate of cake and she said to me, I probably shouldn't eat this, should I? And I didn't really look at her or know her or think at all and I just said, you've heard of the freshman 15, right? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) She threw the piece of cake, not at me thankfully, but back at the table and walked away. I don't think I encouraged her that day. There's times where we say things and immediately as soon as we say them, we can't retract them, but we can speak back against them. There's situations where we'll say something and, and the best thing that you can say is that I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry that I did. That, that's not how I should have responded. In the husband-wife relationship, I'm familiar with saying the wrong thing. And, and it just happens. There's moments where, and maybe, you didn't, maybe I didn't even say the wrong thing, but I said it in the wrong way with the wrong attitude. And Christ followers in this room, people who look to him for their example, I'm going to tell you, you have the right to say that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That is honoring to him. We don't have to look like we have it all together. There are times where we need to say, despite the fact that I was angry a minute ago and I said that out of anger, I'm sorry. This is what I should have said. And this is what I'm going with. Can we erase that now? And that honors God. That's how we walk in his ways. That's how we choose, despite the emotion of the situation, to go in the direction that we need to go rather than just digging deeper and deeper down into that, that dip. 
that hole that we often just try to shovel our way out of. We honor God when we dictate what we're gonna say rather than just respond to the emotion of the situation. Change directions, church. You don't have to be right all the time. You just need to keep moving in the right direction. And the Apostle Paul was a great example of this. He he is someone who he had difficult things set before his mind. And, And we're all pretty familiar if you've been around the church with the Apostle Paul's story that he started off as Saul. He met Jesus in this incredible way on the road to Damascus and he was blinded and God just redirected his life. But this verse that we often miss, that's one of the precursors of his ministry, is when God was sending someone to go and restore his sight, and the person was scared because Saul had been persecuting Christians, and he didn't want to go to this person who could potentially put him to death. God's instruction to him was that I will show him, Saul, how much he will have to suffer for my namesake. That was in Acts 9.16. I mean, just think for a moment, at the beginning of Paul's ministry, God was revealing to him how much he would have to suffer as he followed Christ. There are good things ahead and there are bad things ahead in life. But we can still walk in a way that honors God. And and I think maybe that, that is why Paul used this metaphor of running so much. Because when I think of running, I think of pain and I think of difficulty and, and I, I, I've done a fair amount of running. I ran a half marathon once and I trained for it. I'm going to tell you, getting ready for something like that, it doesn't happen by accident. And I'm thankful I had a partner who, who would text me or call me at 6 a.m. in the morning and say, all right, come on, Paul. And, and we would meet up and he would get me through that five-mile run, that seven-mile run, all, all the way up to where we were ready to run 13 miles together. And running is hard. It challenges your mind. It challenges your body. It, it makes your feet get all messed up looking. I mean, it, it, it just consumes you. It, it's a difficult thing to do. And Paul continues to compare running to this faith that we're supposed to be living out. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in a way such as to get the prize. Or Galatians 5.7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Or Hebrews 12.1, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This concept of running a race implies there will be difficult, there will be strain ahead. And one of the things that it comes to me because of my running experience is that it doesn't happen by accident. Improvement doesn't happen by accident. And so if we go through our days and our weeks just thinking, oh, this relationship with God, it'll just kind of happen naturally because I have loads of extra time, you'll realize it doesn't happen naturally. As we walk with God and as we seek to grow in our faith and as we seek to follow where his presence is leading us, we have to carve out time to be in the word. We have to carve out time to be in prayer. We have to carve out time to invest in other people. You need to, as a Christ follower, being investing in other people's faith. We as a church, that's how we operate. There are adults in this room who have changed middle school and high school students' lives because of their investment in 180. And God is calling you to something other than sitting on your hands, if that is currently your ministry setting. Uh, I don't believe it is for the majority of our church, but I want to push you and encourage you. This faith is a run. It takes difficulty. And and even in those hard moments, we can choose what our attitude is going to be. We can choose to rejoice in God and trust him through these difficult times because we know the outcome. We know how things are going to end. The third point that I have for you today 
is that we can walk in joy because we know that God is our victory. We can walk in joy because we know that God is our victory. As the verse ends in our passage today, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. If you feel like the outcome of your life, of your current struggle, of the current dip that you're in, if you feel like that outcome is just up in the air as to which way it's gonna go, you're missing the fact that the end for you has already been written, that your salvation comes through God, that God guarantees your victory, that he says he is able to make you stand, that he is able to accomplish the work that he began in you and bring it to completion, that it doesn't rest in your own strength, but it rests in you trusting him, following his ways. John 16, says it like this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, that, that's a strange promise to receive from scripture, but do you see it in there? You will have many trials and sorrows in this world. We will, we'll walk through those tough times. That, that's a given, but take heart. Jesus has overcome this world. First John 5, 4 through 6 says it this way, every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Our victory is in Jesus Christ, church. He is our salvation. The God of our salvation will see to it that we don't set up our house and live in that dip, in that difficulty. And and I'll tell you from experience that, that I'm not supposed to be here. My guidance counselor told me that, you know, she said, college is not your path. My family told me that, you're gonna end up like your father. You're gonna end up getting into the same things that he is because you're already in them at the age of 13. And for me, as a young person in my faith, I I looked around and said, you know what? I I can't get involved in helping at church. Too many people know what I've done. Too many people know about my addictions. I would just be a hypocrite to try, to try to be involved there. I shouldn't, you know, when I tell you I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be a pastor by all of the world's accounts. Everyone knew where my life was heading. But for me, there came a point where God convinced me that what he did on the cross was enough. That despite the, the mistakes that I made, despite the, the things that were handed to me in life, he said, what I did on the cross for you was enough. And I don't know if you've discovered that for yourself or not. And we hear a few voices, but once again, this is the testimony of the church. That Jesus is enough. And what we believe is that he lived the perfect life. He didn't fall into the same dips that we fall into because of our mistakes. He never sinned. And he took a death that we deserve. Jesus, he never sinned, and so he didn't deserve that criminal's death. He didn't deserve death on a cross to be buried at that age and to be scorned by his friends and the people around him. Because he chose to give us the eternal life that he earned by taking the death on the cross that we earned with our sin. Jesus is the payment for us. Our victory comes from him. And so church, whatever your struggle is today, 
I have a challenge for you. I have some homework for you. Go ahead and get your pen out. I want you to write this on your, on your notes. Our passage today, it said, even though the fig trees have no, have no blossoms and the grapes, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. All those even those, all those issues that came up, what is yours? Write down even though and then draw a blank. And then on the other side of that, write, I will rejoice in the Lord. This is my challenge for you. For seven days, as your morning begins, whatever you do first, put this where you do that and write down what your biggest struggle of the day feels like it is. And write down, even though I suffer with anxiety, I will rejoice in the Lord. And make that decision at the beginning of your day to trust in him for whatever you face. This is your practical step. Try this this week. See how it changes your day. We haven't won our fights yet, but I'll tell you what, we are going to win because God is strong enough to defeat anything that you have faced. Our salvation, it's not shakable, church. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't rest on your strength. It has been carried by Jesus Christ. The core message of the gospel is that you are not sufficient, but God is. And so as we carry our burdens and we, we lay them down at his feet, he carries them for us. We were in that dip and we were stuck there. And he carried that cross up the hill for us to give us new life. And so don't live your life as if you're stuck where you are. We live our life in freedom. We live our life in joy. We can walk in joy because we know that God is our victory, that our struggles are carried out. And so when it's dark and difficult, I will follow him. When, when I feel like I want to say the wrong things, I, instead I will lift up a shout of praise. When I want to complain, I will just give him glory. When I want to give up, I will sing of what he's done because I know that he'll do the same things in the future. When I feel like there's no way out, I know that he makes a way and I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. It's a choice we make. And for you, where are you today? If you haven't experienced his presence in your life, and we as a church, we'd love to come around you and pray with you and talk with you about what it means to walk with Christ through this life. If you've got down into that rut, feeling like there's no hope here, then it starts for you right now, even as we sing the song, saying, God, everything within me, it doesn't wanna sing. It doesn't wanna talk about this. It wants to just keep it buried. And one of the best things you can do is just open up your heart to God in prayer during this next song. To open up in worship. And as you meet him there, he will carry you forward. And church, I speak, to you, speak this to you because I've experienced this. I've been through the tough times too. 
it's as tough as losing a job, miscarrying a child, I'm talking about the real things. He will meet you there. He will take you by the right hand and he will lead you forward. Don't stay in that div, but follow him up that hill and he will lead you to greater things.